Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, you're going to meet Justin Brown, who is the co-founder of Motion Agency, a super talented content creator, and a really heady entrepreneur. We talk about a bunch of really fascinating stuff from when communities get too big and when not to approach a community strategy. We get into some very deep podcast strategy and content creation for LinkedIn conversations, including how to niche down in order to really fall in love with your community and be able to serve them well. And he gives me this awesome story of how he got Gary Vee on his podcast. You're going to love Justin. Super smart guy. Dynamic. I learned a bunch from this interview. Already listened more than once. Enjoy. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast. A show that was started because if... You can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy, this show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez. And today we got somebody that I reached out to on LinkedIn because I became an absolute fanboy of what his team is doing and the way that they repurpose content and just how beautiful these like micro content segments that he's making made me incredibly envious and made me really grateful that I have a platform where I can just bring him on and pick his brain. He's Justin Brown. He's the co-founder of Motion and the co-host of the Recorded Content Podcast, which is a great podcast for anybody that's out there making content and trying to figure out how to parlay into the most useful stuff. Justin, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for doing yeah, this. Yeah, Pablo. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to get to have you on here. And as you know, right, this is the the B2B Community Builder Podcast. I like to just kind of start it off with asking you, what are you part of any marketer communities, any in-person communities? What you know, what kind of communities are you a part of these days? 
Yeah, for sure. So I'm part of a variety of communities, some ones specifically within podcasting. So as Pablo mentioned, we run an agency that uh, does podcasts and repurpose content out of those podcasts for B2B technology companies, usually for marketing teams that are usually like one to five. So you know, smaller teams that need to get a lot out of something. And we use the podcast as that something. In terms of the communities that I'm in, I'm in a few, you know, I'm in Squadcast community. That's more of a podcasting community to keep me up to speed on what's going on. We're, we're a big proponent of Squadcast. It's what we use for our recording. I mean, it's just a good way for us to stay up to speed on what's going on in the podcast community. Then from there, I'm in a variety of like, you know, revenue type communities. I joined Rev Genius very early on. They're huge now, which for me, I've gone a little bit away from just because of sometimes big isn't necessarily better. And I do like more, more niche communities just for, you know, being able to bounce ideas off of people. And then we've started our own pseudo community, which is the motion. Well, I don't know if I named it this or one of the community members, but it's in our Slack channel and we call it the Motion Podcast Crew. And basically one of the things that we're doing and it's evolved into community naturally, which I think a lot of times is the best way to build a community or just a way. And it's it's always nice when this does happen. But one of the things that we started doing and I... (laughs) I, I hate using the term because it's almost frowned upon, but one of the things that we started doing um, about eight months ago was influencer marketing, right? So we knew that we didn't have the biggest pull, but we thought the stuff that we were producing was pretty good, like Pablo mentioned. Um, and so what we started doing was reaching out to marketers who had pull and saying, hey, you know, what do you think about us launching a show for you? It won't cost you anything. We'll own the IP and we'll do everything for you, but it's your show and you get to steer the direction of it and have fun. And then you tag us when you post your repurposed content. So Nick Bennett was the first one, then Chantel Marcel, now Camille Trent, and the list is kind of growing. So as this list of shows has grown and they all have their own flavor, like Nick does it where it's called Rep Your Brand and it's a personal branding podcast. And then Chantel does a community podcast, kind of like yours. And then Camille does a content, uh, organic content-based podcast. And so you know, I was like, hey, we got all these people and let's invite them into our Slack. And and they were individually in our Slack. And I think one of them said, well, can you add us all into a channel so we can like kick around ideas about the podcast and blah, blah, blah. And so as that kind of evolved, now we have this like micro community of people who have shows under the motion umbrella. Now, the vast majority of the shows we do, the other 25 or whatever it is are our client shows and we launch shows for b2b tech companies these are actual internal shows so we have currently four shows under the motion umbrella Hmm. are you thinking about listen i i'm obsessed with the idea of whoever your clients are get them all together in the same room to 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 exchange best ideas because there's always so much overlap right so it sounds like you guys have you've put in your influencer brands all together are you thinking about opening it up to like a member of each client, anything like that? Is that happening? So it's funny you bring that up. I actually, I mentioned Rev Genius and Jared Robin, who's one of the co-founders of Rev Genius, actually posted the other day on LinkedIn um, 
about starting community as a SaaS company. Now I'm obviously a services company, but we run a monthly recurring revenue model. And I'd say most services companies are trying to run their business like a SaaS company anyway. So I think there's a lot of overlap there. And he said, you know, Hey, basically if you're a SaaS company and you have all these customers and you're thinking about community, but you don't have the time or whatever, you should invite them all into your Slack channel and then do X, Y, and Z. And I actually clapped back and I went the other direction. And I was like, you know, Jared respectfully disagree, but if you don't have time for community, then inviting all these people into your Slack channel to me would actually be counterintuitive. So the answer to your question is not that I don't think it would be a good idea or that it would be valuable, but for me right now, I don't have the bandwidth. Like, I would I love to hire like a community manager and then be able to bring in all of our customers and have them like doing things. But I don't like the idea of just saying, hey, welcome to Slack, welcome to Motion Slack. And they're like, great, why am I here? And I'm like, I don't know, like interact with some people. And, and that was what I've found to not be the communities that I that I love, where it's like, hey, a bunch of people, you're here, figure it out. I, I like the communities that seem to have some sort of like management aspect to it where it's happening for a reason. And that's why we're very comfortable right now with our community being like ridiculously tiny, but it's purposeful. Like everybody in there is doing a thing that's similar. We post updates as to what's going on with our shows. We ask questions of each other versus me inviting clients that are in, I mean, they're all B2B tech for the most part, but they're in very different walks of life. And I feel like I would actually be opening myself up to a a more dangerous situation without having clear goals as to like, why am I doing this? Sure. Can they get best best practices from each other? I'm sure they can. But it could it also lead to confusion as to why this person is doing this thing and I'm not doing that thing. And you have this person on this plan. So I don't know, maybe maybe it would be great, but because we don't have the bandwidth to say, this is what we're doing with a bigger community, we've steered away from doing that. I think that's really valid, dude, right? Like I, I, me, I, I'm a total proponent of push community as much as possible, but you're right, right? Like inviting people into a space to be like, well, I gathered you all together. Now, what do you want to do? Is not a good look. Right? And, and it doesn't provide a good client experience, man. So I think it actually is really, really smart that that's the way that you're approaching it. Tell me a little bit about what do you mean by too big? You know, what 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 do you mean about that feeling of just like intimate versus too big and 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 a community getting too big? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, the best communities that I'm a part of are typically like I don't know, 150 people or something like that. I I've seen it with with the majority of communities that I've been in that that ended up blowing up. I end up leaving them because I don't feel like there's a personalized experience for me. I was in DGMG, right? Like Dave Gerhardt's group. Yeah, I'm part and then and then that that group blew up and you're getting people from every walk of life. It's not I mean anyone can call themselves a marketer, right? Like you can market anything. You can market yourself. You can market a company. You can market a product, like whatever you, anyone can call themselves a marketer and can enter uh, Dave's group. And it went from like marketers who I kind of recognized to like everything from like Jimmy sneakers 
pushing Jordans, which nothing wrong with that. I don't relate to that. It has nothing to do with what I'm doing. And he's trying to talk about how he's pushing his ads for selling sneakers on eBay or whatever it may be. And and then I've got B2B marketers and B2C marketers and, you know, salespeople and people who are maybe trying to sell something. And like, it just got too big. And I was like, I just, this isn't for me. And so I left and maybe it's great now. I don't know. I'm not going to speak to something that I'm not a part of. But at the time when I left, I felt like it was no longer for me because it had blown up and gotten too big. And I usually tend to feel that way as communities get bigger, the vast majority of them. And it goes back to the time thing. A lot of communities are volunteers or it's a bolt on program and they don't have someone who's like very in charge of that community. And I love the fact, and if I go back to Squadcast again, their first marketer that they hired was a community manager. I find that awesome and like very interesting. And the companies that are investing in community, I think is like just a really cool approach and where the world is going. And so instead of community being an afterthought, and it's like, oh yeah, we have one. It's like, no, no, no. Like it's a huge program that we do that has a very specific focus on a certain type of individual. And then if you fit, and I feel the same way about podcasting. And I I do like that your podcast has a very specific theme talking about communities. I feel the same way about podcasting. I think communities the more niche they can be, the more they can speak to a specific audience, the better they're going to be for the people that are in the communities. The same way about podcasting, the more niche your podcast can be, the more it's going to speak to certain individuals and they'll actually take something away versus, you know, this is a marketing podcast. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like jump in line. There's a bazillion marketing podcasts or sales podcasts. Like what kind of marketing? Who are you speaking to? Are you speaking to small teams, big teams, tech teams, healthcare teams? Like which marketers are you speaking to? Because if I'm in healthcare and, you know, marketing insurance for a healthcare company and I tune into a podcast and it's for you know, that last week it was health, healthcare and insurance. And then this week it's like small B2B tech SaaS series A. I mean, what? maybe I'll get something. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I would much rather just hear another episode uh, from my healthcare insurance marketing podcast. And then the next week I want to hear about it again. And then the next week hear about it again from different people and different perspective, because saturation, when you go broad is a real thing. I mean, everybody wants to be broad and be able to talk about whatever they want to talk about. But the reality is audiences are looking for more, looking for people to be more specific and speak to them because there's so much out there. I love it, dude. I love it. So, all right, let's get into your zone of genius. You're, 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 you're clearly, you, you and I are both fans of Christopher Lockhead, right? We mm-hmm. both had him on our podcast. My, my, my episode of his is probably going to release like a week before yours. So oh, awesome. uh, you'll get that bump, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, or you could put me first because I want to be the opener for Chris Lockhead. Cause that's a, that's a scary thing to follow. He's yeah. awesome. No, 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 it's fine. Keep your schedule. I'm just joking. But yeah, he is, he is a handful. He's exciting. He's an interesting yeah. person to interview. Yeah, for sure, man. He's uh, I call him entrepreneurial punk rock and I'm super yeah. into it. Right. So like, so yeah, so niching down huge, you are I'm fascinated by the way that you approach content, man. So you're identifying something that's real to me that I've experienced. And it's this idea that the more, the more that you can niche into the content that you make, the more stickiness factor it has, right? Like it's not that it's not good. It's not that it's not interesting. It's just like the more likely somebody's going to return to it because it's a measured quantity. How have you 
you've kind of made that pivot in your business, right? Like you started off wide and then you had to kind of niche down. Tell me kind of how you learned the lessons of, of having to niche down as far as your content stream and what you're doing. Getting beat up as an entrepreneur for years. So when we started Motion, we actually had a tagline. So I, I was talking to Pablo or talking to you before, I'm just saying this for the audience, before cool, cool. we, for we came on. Yeah, yeah. Before we came on about how we started as a video agency. And I remember when we launched <clears throat> our first website, our website was video for business. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and we thought it was genius at the time. We loved it, right? We were doing video for businesses. And then as time went on, we were like, oh, but like, what about like nonprofits? They don't really like consider themselves businesses. And like, what about associations? Because we're talking about how we do a lot of conference stuff. Associations have their conferences every single year. And we did a ton of them. And so we got away from that. We're like, oh, we're too, we're too narrow. Like video for business. That is like so freaking broad compared to the way that I operate now. And I thought that it was too, it was too niche at the time. And everything that we did needed to speak to every audience because I would have someone come in and they're a healthcare company. All they cared about, what other healthcare companies did you work with? And I'd have someone come in who's a B2B tech company. They want to know what other SaaS companies have had series B in cyber that I've worked with. And so we had all these companies coming in who were very, you know, that they, they were coming to us and we stayed broad and then we tried to help everyone. And then when we changed to become this podcast agency and we wanted to be able to find monthly recurring revenue, we just said, you know, and, and we spent a lot of time talking to people about the value of niching down. And it was scary. <clears throat> it's scary to say who you sell to and who you work with. And, you know, if you look at our company now, what we do is, like I mentioned before, we sell podcast services to B2B technology companies with marketing teams of one to five. We're very narrow in who we help and how we help them. And it has helped me to have a better audience than I've ever had for my content because they know that I'm speaking to them. They know that every time that I post something on LinkedIn or a new episode of my podcast comes out, they know that the content is is being made for them. And it's led to a windfall of people who, I mean, the, the, I think the best two examples, I'm not going to name the companies, but two times over the last four months, I've had companies sign up for uh, $3,600 monthly engagements. So, you know, $3,600 a month. Sweet. That's our, that's our me median plan. We have three <laughs> plans, our most popular one. And they had consumed so much of my content that the call, if we just say it was from noon to 1245, that's usually how, how quick my sales calls are or that how long my sales calls are. By 1245, they were signed up with a credit card after one call. And that's because they consumed so much of my content before they ever spoke to me that they knew exactly what we did. They knew exactly how we helped. They know exactly what our viewpoints are on things. And they were signed up. We got through 30 minutes and they're like, I, I'm good. How do I get started? Like I was good heading into this call. I'm like, man, I didn't even need to give you like my presentation. And by the time the hour struck the end of the call, we were already done and they had signed up and I got a you know first payment information notification in my email. And that is the power of being able to speak directly to specific audiences is that by the time they're ready to buy, 
they already know you can help. So good. So good. I, I, so now we're talking about niche as a way to get your content to be sticky. And then when your content becomes sticky, content becomes the ultimate pipeline accelerator. Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Hit five-star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know when, look, I don't get a ton of leads, right? Like I'm not getting like, I mean, I'm getting two to three leads a week, maybe if on a good week, maybe one to two, but like my, my conversion rates are, are insane. I mean, I know when someone books on my calendar through our website, the odds that they're going to be a customer are pretty high, especially when I go look at their website and go look at their marketing team. And I'm like, Oh, sweet. They got two marketers. One of them's like a VP of marketing and they've got like a senior marketing manager or like a head of content or something like that. And they put in the form, you know, we're looking to get a podcast going so that we can repurpose content, excited to talk to you. And I'm like, I mean, this is going to be gold. Like, I know that they've been consuming my stuff. A lot of times I see the name and it's like, I've recognized them liking some of my stuff on LinkedIn and now they're ready. And so for us, that's great. You know, we're, we're, we just, they come in and then they convert because they've been consuming our content and, you know, to our benefit or detriment, look, I don't get like a ton of engagement on LinkedIn. I don't, I get like my 10 to 20 likes. Sometimes I'll, I'll say something a little more provocative and I'll get into the 30 or 40. And I've had some that have done decently, but for the most part, I'm in like the 10 to 20, but there are people who like actually follow me, like who actually are fans of what we're doing and interested in what we have to say, because we help instead of like, I say the the next coolest thing on LinkedIn, not there's anything wrong with that. I'm all for people building their personal brands, but for us, we're using it as a different thing. You know, I'm the owner of a business. My goal is to get people to eventually buy from me. I don't care how many likes I get. If I get one like, and that person buys from me, that's a win. And Chris Lockhead will say the same thing. You know, he'd rather speak to a very narrow audience that are actually going to take action than a broad audience that couldn't care less. Same idea. I want people to see my content and then want to purchase from me. Dude, I love I love the way that your brain works, right? Because we're just going like straight down the line of like knocking down pillar after pillar of like ev- everything that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so, so, then, so then my next question to tee up for you, since you're doing this fantastically yourself and I can just take a vacation here, is you don't have a big audience. You don't have a big listenership. Niching makes it highly consumable right? Like highly addictive, I guess, right? The, the LTV of the, of the listener is there. How do you go about getting it from podcast to LinkedIn and how do you think about it? Talk to me about how you make your micro content and how you distribute that stuff. Yeah. Well, and I will say one of the benefits to 
we don't have a big audience necessarily, but we also have these influencers who make, who make content and then tag us. And then those people find that, Hey, where did you get this video done? And they're like, my good friends over emotion. So like, even though I may not have the biggest audience, I have put things in play because you do need distribution, right? Like you need people to, it's great if you want to stay narrow, but if no one ever hears about you, then okay, well, you're narrow and nobody knows that you exist. So we are, re, you know, we repurpose this content for our shows, for our show recorded content. And then the three shows that fall under our umbrella, which are Rep Your Brand, Companies and Communities and Content Logistics. We create all this micro content the benefit of, like I mentioned before, previously being a video production company, we have motion graphics artists, we have video editors on staff that were doing like doc style stuff. I mean, like we were shooting crazy stuff for years and now they've pivoted into cutting podcast content. And so we do all sorts of cool stuff like in After Effects with dynamic text and and motion graphics. And we do these overlays on our videos to try to make them look different on LinkedIn than what you're used to seeing. Hopefully having people stop in their tracks and go like, huh, I'm not used to seeing, you know, this level of production for a podcast episode. Usually you're used to seeing, you know, kind of the headliner type videos with the captions at the bottom and a quote at the top. Nothing wrong with any of that. I am all for people and I'm all for people like that content is already putting you above 90% of the other people on LinkedIn, maybe 95. I don't know. I'm making up this number, but like I'm telling you video content, people hate it. They hate making it. It's not fun. If you don't have a video background, it is like painstaking work for the average person. So if you're doing that level, you're already ahead. And then what we did is we took that to the next level, which is like, hey, we were a video agency now doing podcast stuff, but you're going to get the same quality that you would get with a high-end video agency. And so we chop up four things out of every episode, which is video content or customers as well as for ourselves. We do uh, a full length video episode to go up on YouTube. We also do a short promo video. That's going to be the one with the graphics and the dynamic text and things flying in and out and music and all this stuff. Then we do uh, image. So you got your video content, then you've got your audio content, which is going to be the episode that goes up onto Apple podcast, Spotify, whatever. Then image-based content, we do like LinkedIn sliders. You've probably seen those carousels. We do uh, singular quote cards. It's like a hard-hitting quote. So now you've got video, audio, and imagery. And then the final thing that we produce are show notes that are 500 to 1,000 words written in a narrative style that you know you can post on your company page and then maybe pull some of it for whatever you want your LinkedIn post to be. So really trying to appeal to however someone consumes content. Do you consume content on YouTube? Great. Full episode is there. Do you consume content on LinkedIn? Awesome. There's a short promo video there. Do you consume content on Twitter? Maybe I have a quote card over there that's just an image that you can read. Do you like to listen to the full podcast on your streaming app while you're on the treadmill? Great. Go check out the full episode. Are you sitting on the couch with your significant other? You're interested in the episode, but you don't want to throw headphones in because that's rude. Awesome. Read about it. We've got, you know, a thousand words written about the episode. It's not just us pulling the transcript. You know, you can scroll through. It's written in a way that speaks to you um, and tells you what the episode is about. So really trying to be able to break through no matter how someone consumes content, we have something that you can, you can consume from each episode. You're removing friction right? Exactly. Like you're, yep. you're removing friction from the equation when you are able to take one conversation and put it into six different contexts 
for the context that's appropriate for the time at your preference. Exactly. It's just we, however, and that's what I try to tell people is not like the first thing you need to recognize is that not everybody listens to podcasts. If you're going to create a podcast, it's very important that you know that because no matter how perfect your podcast is for someone, there are people out there that just don't consume podcasts. And so if you're not creating it in other ways that people like to consume content, you're going to miss people. And so what you need to do is view it. And I know, you know, we've talked about this before, Pablo, but you know, you need to view it as a piece of pillar content that you are then going to create into micro pieces of content for people to consume. However, it is that they like to consume content it is not up to you to tell them how they should consume content. It's up to you to provide the content to the way that they can and will consume it. I'm going to take a hard right here and I'm, I'm going to come back to, I'm going to come back to like picking around like content strategies, but I want to take a hard right. Cause the moment you say pillar content, my head immediately goes to our boy, Gary V mm-hmm. and you recently had Gary V on the podcast. And I would love for you to, you know, my, I've made my name as a networker and how I meet people and whatever. And that's what it used to be about. Now it's more about building community because I'm niching down. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would love to just kind of give the story of how, how the fuck did you get Gary V on your podcast, bro? Okay, so about two years ago, so as you can see behind me, uh, those are like those are actually Charizards. But I collected high-end sports cards, and I've gone in, so I change that every week, but depending on the flair of the week of what kind of cards I want behind me. But you know, Gary got into sports cards, and he talked a lot because that's what he does, and it was making the sports card market fluctuate based on what Gary said because no one of his persona level had ever really done cards before. And so he was shifting the market based on which players he liked. And I being the person who has no fear for friction with people or whatever, I didn't call him out, but I was like, Yo, this seems like some form of insider trading. If he decided to do it, like I was like, He could literally, because of how much power he has, he could buy a card and then he could go on Twitter and say, this player is awesome. Those cards could then increase in value and then Gary could then sell them at a profit because he has that kind of ability to maneuver a market. Um, And so I started posting content basically saying like, hey guys, does anyone else think this is kind of sketchy? And then Gary caught wind of it. And we went back and forth quite a bit for a while. Me basically saying, I don't believe you. Gary saying, being Gary, because Gary's favorite people are the people who don't like, who don't immediately like him. Like his goal in life is to make everyone in the world like him and know that he is like a genuinely good person. And I really do think he is after getting to know him a lot over the last two years. And so our first interview actually was on this side project I was doing early pandemic sports card boom happens like sports cards become worth like ridiculous amounts of money where it becomes even more sketchy think of what Gary's doing and he joined me on a different podcast that I was doing about cards and we spent an hour together and man I grilled him like it was like for me it felt like you know like I was on like dateline or something and I'm doing like this like investigative report on all these questions that that people have for him and he was like very genuine in his answers and he took you know accountability for some things that maybe were not 
like the most, I don't want to say ethical, but that he could have done a little bit better. And it was just a really great conversation. I didn't give him any easy outs. Yeah, I think he really respected the way that I interviewed and carried myself. And then after that, like we kind of like, you know, virtually, because we did it via Zoom, we like virtually shook hands and we became friends after that. And, and I really respected him, you know, kind of not that facing me was facing the music, but like he has 10 bazillion fans out there. He didn't need to come talk to me. He can go talk to a million people who want to tell him how great he is. And he found the guy who was like, man, I'm not sure about you. And then after that, we stayed friends. And what I will say, and I think now if we bring this back to B2B and building community and building content and what have you. So I start, we, at the time I'm running this company that is doing podcast services. And I know how big of a pull Gary would be to speak on behalf of my company. but we were not mature enough. We were still going through our niche down phase. We did not have a big audience yet. We were still trying to figure out who exactly we were. This was like end of 2019, early 2020 pandemic starting, whatever. And then during 2020, our company, you know, really took off and we niched ourselves down and we found kind of our lane. And, you know, now here we are almost a year later and we're like pushing three dozen shows. And so I waited. I, I didn't want to use my one Chuck E. Cheese token that I knew that I would have to get Gary again. I, at least I thought. I was like, look, I th- just based on the rapport that I built with this guy and like this kind of genuine re- ge- like reciprocal respect, I think I have one token to like ask him to come on my podcast for my company. And so I waited. And then lo and behold, I shot my shot after Chris Lockhead. So I had my Lockhead interview with my video. So I sent Gary the video and I said, Hey man, you know, I want to talk to you about the stuff that you used to talk about all the time, repurposing content, the value of pillar content. Will you join me for 30 minutes? And he teed me up with Lou, who's his assistant. And I coordinated with Lou. It took about two and a half months. And sure enough, uh, he jumped on and he jumped on and just to show you the kind of person that he is for all his ups and all his faults and whatever, you know, he, he came on my show a week after he dropped his NFT. I mean, like almost like his life work. Right. Yeah. And he jumped on and he was like, look, I am literally up to my eyeballs in customer, like customer service re- requests and people's Ethereum wallets being yeah. closed and all these things. But I told you I'd be here and I'm here. So you better get going. And we did it in like 23 minutes and he was fantastic. He gave me like some, some blurbs in there that were yeah. just like, I mean, he knew what he was doing. Like one that he was like, if you're thinking about creating content, you need to do it the way that Justin and his company are doing it. They've got the right idea. I mean, you have Gary V say that about your company is pretty good. Uh, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good little testimonial right there. And he knew it. And and I think my favorite line of what he said the whole time was, and it would have been very arrogant to say if he wasn't right. He goes, he goes, you know, I didn't come on here because I need it. I came on here because you need it. He's like, it makes me feel good about myself to help you, Justin. And I was like, damn it, Gary, you know, if that wasn't actually, wasn't actually true, that would be a little bit arrogant, but it top to bottom. I'm just glad you're here for all those purposes. So thank you very much. But no, it was a a really cool story over a long period of time, but it goes to show, you know, two things. One, don't be afraid to ask, but two, also go in with a plan. Like if you're going to go after a big whale guest, just shooting your shot and saying, Hey, we come on. Like the odds are going to be pretty low. Like you need to come in with some ammo and like, 
hey, hey, Gary, you know, I've known you for two years. Here's an interview that I did with someone who's like kind of your level in Chris Lockhead. You know, here's some sample work that I've done. You know, I was wondering how I can go about coordinating this conversation. So definitely shoot your shot. But when you do it, you know, what's the saying? If you go for the king, you best not miss. Like come in with, come in with some serious ammunition, like come in with a plan. I love it, dude. Really, really cool story. And I remember watching that video and just be like, this motherfucker, I can't believe he just did this. Right? And like, and I, and I saw everything that you said. He's like, man, I just made me feel good to do this. And he even called out, he's like, and you put, and I know you're going to put together a sweet video about this. Right. So like multiple kind of levels of, of testimonials to you. And you, you said it perfectly, right? Like when you are building rapport with somebody that's of that much of a higher ilk, you got to come in with a plan and you got to, and you got to know exactly where your value is. You got to make it easy for them. You got to, you, you know, you got to be easy to work with and present value. One thing that I want to add to it and it's, so I've met Gary. I, I'm not as close to Gary as you are. I've probably talked to him about four times. The time that I got the most FaceTime in with him was kind of similar to what you're describing with sports cards. I think that Gary gets, Gary gets obsessed with stuff when he is like launching something new. And when he's in that mode, he's looking to network. He's legitimately looking to meet people in that space and validate himself to the people in those space. Like he wanted to validate himself to you for sports cards because it's something that mattered to him. You already had a platform. So even though you weren't a big guy in his ecosystem, the ecosystem mattered to him that you were in, right? And for me, it was Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl, man. Like I knew that they were, I knew that they were launching Vayner Sports. And, oh, I, nice. and I heard him talking on his podcast about Mobile, Alabama, and how he was going to do a keynote there. I'm like, fucking Mobile, Alabama is like a one horse town. If I'm yeah. in Mobile, I'm going to see Gary. Right? <laughs> and that's exactly what it was, man. Like we were just hanging out at late night hotels and he's rolling in networking with like high schoolers that are about to turn pro, you know, high schoolers, college kids that are turning pro. And he was just there being himself. So like I got to get into multiple conversations. It was just like, like at a conference, just like four people talking and Gary's one of them. He's like, oh yeah, have you met this dude over here and that guy? And it was amazing, right? So like, I think, I think the shortcut to Gary is, get involved in something that he's obsessed with where he's going to be in networking mode and trying to prove himself to the little guy because that's his MO. So which, I, is, I, which is NFTs right now, which is NFTs right now, <laughs> which is it might be, it might be the ship may have sailed on NFTs, but to your point of how he can swing a market, Ethereum went up sick, like a, like an insane amount when everybody was gearing up to buy his NFT project and then stabilize right back down the moment that that spike finished. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I thought that that was really interesting, man. Super cool story. So then let's, then let's go straight into tactically. I feel like, <laughs> I'm not going to say like, I feel like I execute like Gary Vee, but like, I, I, I take it to, I take it to heart of just like, I'm like, I'm a quantity guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I put out shitloads of content. I'm going to make 15 pieces from this interview. You take a different approach, right? Like you, you're a quality guy because I think that's your niche to a certain extent, but you've also kind of talked me through how the numbers work. How how do you think about the idea of putting out one really good video from the podcast as opposed to the one really good video and 10 other headliner kind of videos more similar to me? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all just based on what your audience is looking for. And for us, you know, the value I think comes in showing these B2B tech companies that because, yeah, you know, it's almost like drinking our own Kool-Aid kind of situation. Like if I. I would worry that if I put those videos out, the content would be good, but at the same time, you know, they'll feel like they could do some of those things in house. And so we're trying to say, Hey, like, you know, you can't do this. (laughs) So we're almost like marketing our service. It's not that I don't. And again, if we go back to those types of videos, I mean, I think they're, 
fantastic. Like you see Chris Walker and like all these people, they still do them. And as long as the content is good, you'll get followers. So for us, it's not so much that I do or don't like those types of videos. It's almost like us doing these is giving people of some visibility into the service that we provide. And it's our core differentiator, right? Like what's the big difference of working with motion? high-end video. You know, we cut, I think there's other, there's other obviously differentiators, but if you're, if we're going to be like, you know, just being very honest with ourselves, when people talk to each other, I'm sure they're not saying like, you get to work with Justin. Like they're like, oh yeah, that's like the high-end video company. Like they, they do the best videos out there from podcasts. So we're marketing our service. Um, I think there's a lot of value to putting out a ton of content and you see it all the time. I mean, people who are pumping out content get big followings. So I don't think there's a a right or a wrong or anything. I think it's what works for you. And if that's working for you, and, and I think that's probably something that Gary says too. I'm not as big of a Gary fan, I think, as you are. He like I I came around on him, whereas like some people like have followed him for a long time. But like, you know, I think that he would be very much a promote proponent of that as well, which is like push out content and find what works for you. And like, I'm the same way, you know, for us, what, what has worked has been pushing out premium video and showing people, Hey, this is how we do it. But you know, it's a very much, I see people who succeed with literally just writing and they never post a video ever. And they have the best written content. And I see people who crush it just on Twitter with like, incredible Twitter threads and they don't have video. And then other people who do, I remember this guy, he's very heavy on Twitter now, but on LinkedIn for a long time, years back, a guy named Blake Amal, he was like the master at the LinkedIn slider. Like he was doing those before anyone was and like making them super interesting. And that was his thing. So I think like you just try to find your thing, right. And like what works for you and, and to everybody it's, it's going to be slightly different. It's a really good answer, dude. It's a really, really good answer. And and yeah, man, I see it. I I see it as a brilliant strategy for you guys because you are. I am a company that produces shows and repurposes for people, and I'm literally considering hiring you to make me a video a week, right? Because <laughs> because the stuff that you do is a moat, right? Like yeah. the 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 level of production that you put into it really, really is a a high level moat. And while I I think the stuff that I put out is definitely above headliner level, but not professional documentary video production level and and back to your to what you originally said i'm not really concerned about followers i'm concerned about customers right yeah. and and my and my my look has always been i'm always everywhere right like i yeah. like i came up as a networker that was just in every single room in miami so you know who i am kind of thing so for me it's just being in front of people all the time and, and i think also like our approach goes very much to our buyers as yeah. well like you know we're working with companies a lot of times that have gotten series a through c funding and we're usually brought in once like doing a cert you know the, the, uh, that approach for them, like we're brought in when people are like, we, we want to like, look, we want to like elevate our brand. Right. Like we, like we have a huge brand initiative where we're brought in all the time after a new website is built. And they're like, we want to use our new brand elements. We want to, we want to scream from the mountaintops that like, we are 
the best in our space. And that needs to happen, not from a quantity standpoint, but very much from a quality standpoint. And we're viewed as the way to do that. Now, there are going to be other brands all the time that, you know, you have a CEO who's just looking to put out as much content as possible or whatever. So like there's different situations for everything. That's like where we've found our lane is like someone has a very heavy brand initiative. Then they're looking to have content that is well-designed and put out similar to this new brand and is like, looks high end and nice or whatever. And that's kind of where we fit. And it, you know, at the same time, it probably costs us customers too. People who are like, I don't need all that. Or like, I just want, I want more stuff. Like I don't, I don't want one, vi- you know, if you go on our pioneer plan, that's two episodes a month, you know, you're getting two videos a month for if someone's trying to push some a video out a day, they're going to be like, yeah, motion's not really for me. Those, you know, that's more like high end stuff. I'm looking at, you know, a, a video every day that I can post and establish myself as a thought leader. And that's why we fit much more with like companies than individuals. Like we, we don't really other, you know, our influencer program is different, but like, totally. In terms of in terms of like working with individuals, when people reach out to me and they're like, "I'm starting a podcast," I'm like, "This pro- we're probably not yeah. what you're looking for, just because you're going to want more." Which I I love, like go push out more. Yeah. If you like a personal brand podcast, we're probably not a fit. Like we are, we fit with companies that are looking to have like this big pillar initiative where their podcast is going to filter all over the place from the blog to like whatever. And the video is just a piece of it and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that that makes perfect sense, man. I, I love it. I think it's a, I think it's a great differentiator, man, to be perfectly honest with you. Like I, I differentiate my way, my, my, myself in other ways that isn't just quantity, but this isn't about me. So what I want to pick your brain about is you recently did this experiment. You talked me through this like analysis of how you think LinkedIn video works versus LinkedIn text. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that, bro. That was fascinating when you explained it to me. Yeah. So for a long time, I I just, it was just like a a hypothesis, I guess. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like my views. So, okay. So there, there's three types of posts you can do on LinkedIn, right? You can do an all text post, you can do an image post, and then you can do a video post. And I found that my videos, I was getting more comments and likes than I was on images and text. But the views on images and text were three, four, five times the amount. So that didn't make sense, right? My engagement rate is like 30% on a video and engagement rate is equated to likes plus comments. And then my engagement rate on engagement rate is likes plus comments. And then you divide views by that, if that makes sense. So if you have a thousand views, you get 25 likes. It's a thousand or it's 25 divided by a thousand. Let me get a calculator and I'll just help your audience to understand. So if we do 25 divided by a thousand, that is a 2.5% engagement rate, right? So that's about what I was seeing. A thousand views, I would get like 25 engagements, likes plus comments on a text post. But then I was getting like 30% on videos. And so I, I started looking into it. And basically the way that a video qualifies as a view is someone needs to consume it for three seconds. Whereas with a text post on LinkedIn, they can just scroll by it. Because my clients were basically saying to me, like, Justin, why are my videos sucking? And I'm like, they're not. I'm like, I'm going to look at your engagement. They're like, but the views are terrible. And I'm like, okay, 
Yes. Let me look into this. So I looked it up and it was like, okay, they need to consume for three seconds. So then I got together with three or four people. I don't remember exactly how many. And we all like averaged out all of our stuff. And it came out to basically a video view is worth four to five times the amount of a a text post view. So if you get 250, 250 views on a video, that would get you about the same engagement as a text post that got between 1,000 and 1,250 views. So the whole purpose of this is to say, if you go and look at a LinkedIn post that you posted with a video and you're like, oh my God, that only got 200 views when I usually average 1,000 on a text post, it's not that your video is not performing well. It's just that the vast majority of your text posts, people are scrolling by it. And when it comes to video, it doesn't qualify. So just know, look at the engagements. That is what I would compare. You know, how many likes plus comments do you get on your video posts versus how many likes plus comments do you get on your text posts? And the odds that odds are they're probably pretty similar for me. I mean, my video posts far outperform my text posts just because people like consuming video. Have you always been a tinkerer? Like, have you always been like this kind of like analytical mind that when you see something, you're going to go test something out like this and like, you need to get to the data kind of thing? Like, Oh, for sure. I mean, so I started in sales. So like everything has always been conversion rates and like how many, how many leads do I need to go find, you know, to, to get X number of, you know, buyers in a month or whatever, especially when we were project-based, you know, and we were talking about this in the pre-show, you know, we, before we were a monthly recurring revenue model, you know, we were a project-based business a hundred percent and we had a staff of 15 people and it was terrifying. I mean, every month, right? Like, so I was, I was heading up basically sales and my business partner was heading up delivery. And I mean, every month you start at zero. And so it was how many leads do I need to get? How many people do I need to talk to this month that are interested in video so that I can close enough video contracts to then try to hit payroll again? It was not a way to live. I will tell you that. We never missed payroll, but man, there were some there were some some dark days in my wallet when you have a big staff and you know you have one month where you close 250,000 in contracts and the next month where you do zero for no reason other than, you know, just didn't happen. And so for me, it all came down to the numbers. And I would just need to say like, okay, how many of this do I need to do that? And how many of this do I need to do that? And how much money do we need to put into PPC versus me doing cold calls? And if I have to do cold calls as owner of a business at, you know, 29 years old, that's not how old I am now, but at the time, you know, which kind of sucks because I'm like further in my career, I don't want to be making cold calls, but if I have to do it, I have to do it. And how many do I need to make and so on and so forth. So it's made me very analytical with numbers as to like why certain things are the way they are. So when I see one thing is outperforming the other, but it doesn't seem to make any sense. I'm like, well, why the heck not? And then it's also matters when that's literally what you're selling. And then people are like, why do your vi- why why do your videos suck? And I'm like, they definitely don't suck. So I need to take a deeper dive into why this is an issue. And the bottom line is, is that LinkedIn has stacked the cards against you in terms of the number that you see. The number that you see is not an accurate representation because they're not weighted the same. If you had it so that someone had to view a text post for three seconds, they would probably be exactly the same. And that's just not the case. That was awesome. 
Dude, Justin, I'm just like really intrigued by by who you are, right? Because you you come across as a pretty intense dude, and you clearly care a lot about everything that you do, right? So like it seems it, it, it's clear to me that it comes from like a a really good place. You don't you don't mind you don't mind throwing some shit in someone's face and seeing and seeing how it goes, right? <laughs> like like you you're, you're very direct, right? Like and I don't mean it in a mean way, right? Like radical candor. I yeah. I, I I would say it I is. told Pablo that I don't like rap videos, and he had just he had That's just right. done one. That's right. I, I got off that call. I was like, I don't know if I made a friend or an enemy. No, dude. I, listen, man. First of all, it's impo- it's almost impossible to make me an enemy, right? Because I'm like, I fall in no, love. I have with noticed you. that. Yeah, yeah. You've noticed that, right? How? Where does? What? What's your like? What? What? What's your vision for for like the impact that you want to make? Like, what's do? You, what? What's your like ten year vision for for where you're building this company and and how you want to be seen, man? Like, I, I just see you as somebody that has so much capability and and you're you're working at a really really high level. You've already built this like really really impressive company, right? I'm I'm doing the numbers of how many customers you have and what your typical client is. You guys are already doing really really well. Um, what's the future for you, man? Like, what is what what are what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, I appreciate the question. And I'll say two things. So like one is that I think some of where my intensity and or like passion comes from is anyone who tells you that running a business is hard, they are telling you the truth. We, I mean, there there was a point in time at the end of us being a video production agency where like Tristan and I are looking at each other and we're like, I don't know what's next. Like, do you want this company? I'm like, no, I don't want it. And he's, and I'm like, I ask him like, do you want this company? And he's like, no, I don't want it. And we're like, well, I guess we're stuck being business partners. (laughs) If neither person wants the company, we had debt at the time because we bought all this equipment and we had to let an entire staff go. And we had to walk away from office space. And I mean, it, Times were tough. Uh, I had to get a job for a little while. I spent one day as a barista, um, like at, at like 29 years old. I, I can't I, picture that at all. I, I, I couldn't. So like, I wasn't really making any money. Yeah. And we were trying to figure out what was next. And I couldn't not make money. And I, I didn't have like a hobby at the time, like I do with cards. And I was just like to my fiance now, who was my girlfriend at the time, I was like, I'm literally going to walk down the street and just apply to be a barista at like this like coffee shop. And so I did one day there and I actually got hired for a different job that paid a little more money, but I just can't sit, sit idly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think the, the intensity of like kind of what I bring to the table is just having failed a lot and, and, and had it like very, very like, like razor thin of whether or not this was ever going to be this like dream of being an entrepreneur was ever going to really be a thing. And then you fast forward to today where at the end of 2019, we decide we're going to get into podcasting because we started one and we started falling in love with this medium to then the pandemic hits. And then everybody wants to make podcasts. And in one year, our lives have completely changed. We have always felt like we had a lot to give. When I first started working for my my business partner, in our first year of working together, we took his previous company into the Inc. 5000. We then left to start our own company and things didn't go as well or as fast as we thought they would. And so then to now have this situation where the pandemic hit, everybody wanted to start doing podcasts. And we're now, I mean, knock on wood, 
I mean, I would say it's pretty much working. We're like four to five years in business. We have monthly recurring co- contracts. We don't have clients canceling for the vast majority or all. I think my clients are very happy with the service that we're providing. We're in a situation where like it kind of worked. And so I'm just very happy with my lot in life. What's next? We want to continue building two things. One is our revenue model, which is launching shows for B2B tech companies. And then the other is launching our own IP, which is bringing in these influencer shows of people who do different things in B2B tech for marketing and launching shows for people who otherwise wouldn't have them and trying to be this hub of the best damn content in B2B tech for marketers that's out there. And so if we're establishing our own IP as well as establishing a revenue model, well, I think that makes us a very interesting company for someone one day if they want to do some kind of acquisition. We're very lean. And you know, if, if they think that what we're doing is cool, then I'm open to those conversations or, and the beauty of, you know, growing with revenue, we just keep doing what we're doing. I mean, we're continuing to make money and get better and bring on more customers and grow and whatever. So the answer to your question is either we grow organically and we continue to build this library of awesome internal shows, or one day someone knocks on the door and makes us an offer we can't refuse. And I'm very open to that idea as well. And, you know, I'll probably spend some time trading sports cards and playing video games. I don't know. So, you know, and, and then figuring out what's next. So, you know, I, I think that, that that's the that's the five-year plan is just keep doing what we're doing and trying to make it bigger and better and help more people. I love it, dude. I really love the vision that you kind of have like displayed throughout your stories, right? From the it, it takes vision to just say, hey, I'm going to go produce your podcast, right? Like it takes vision to launch that influencer play, clearly not a mindset of scarcity, but a very tactical mindset of abundance of how you can lead the door of value. I love the idea that when you guys had your backs against the wall, it's let's change the model, right? Let's, let's, go, let's go into recurring revenue. I love the idea that you are developing IP, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same thing, right? Like developing a recurring revenue base that allows you to operate with predictable revenue and be able to make moves and and take bets and also creating proprietary methods that I can then turn into some kind of a software that will enable me to do it that I can then launch to to a client. And you do that because you have the recurring revenue and you can make those long-term bets, man. So it's just really, really impressive, man. I, I really like the way that you break stuff down and the way that you experiment and 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 how you come across with it all. And like I said, I, I think you guys' videos are just ridiculous. Like it's the best shit I've seen. And, uh, and I'm you. kind of obsessed with how you do it. And I'm like, JP, when you're editing this podcast, I want you to reverse engineer his process. <laughs> Which and, by the and, way, uh, is the name of a show that we run. Reverse engineer the process? Reverse engineered is a show that we run. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, keep going. Dude, everything is reverse engineering, <laughs> right? Like, like that's, what, that's why I ask you where you want to be, man. Because I know that you're a strategic guy. So it's like, to me, it's all about figuring out where you want to be in reverse engineer, like whether it's a short-term thing or a long-term thing. And I just find it really, really interesting, man. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Is there, is there anything else, man? Have I not asked you about anything else that you would love to kind of take a hot take on or, or what's on your mind right now? The only thing is just, if I have one like PSA that I can make to everyone, it's just like, please, so many people have good things in their minds about what they do as a professional and just try to use your platforms at some point to help instead of self-promote. I just like LinkedIn and like hashtag marketing Twitter 
are just sometimes very difficult to, to scroll because everyone is just so focused on being an influencer and something that Chris Walker said that when he was on Nick Bennett's podcast was, you know, things that may seem simple to you, other people don't know about yet. Like just try and put some actual knowledge out there. I just, I mean, so many times recently I scroll LinkedIn, which for a while was very powerful information. And like, I'm just searching for someone to tell me something that I think helps me. And that's what I try to do. We, we stay very narrow because of it. And I'm not saying everyone has to be narrow and I'm not saying don't have fun, but like, man, if we could just stay away from like, here, here's how many, here's how much my, my likes have gone up in the last six months since I started posting every day, if we can do away with some of that content and do more with some content that actually helps, I think we'd all be much better off. So that's my soapbox. You asked, I wasn't going to do it, but if you're going to ask, that's the one thing. Content marketing was established by HubSpot a long time ago for a reason. People are out there begging for you to help them rather than to self-promote. I'm glad I asked that, man, because I, I, I think I think that's the root of the tree from where you and I kind of like come from, right? It's like this, like you come from a place of service. And to me, that's the core value that I like to align around, man. So I think it's really, really cool, dude. I'm glad you I'm glad you put that out there. And by the way, that is there anything else question I got from Chris Lockhead for the record. There you go. Nice. Yeah, yeah. By the way, two guys, Lockhead hates Gary Vee. <laughs> I, I could see that. And those guys are like my two idols, right? So Justin, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, man, if somebody wants to get in contact with your agency, you know, like promote yourself, what's the best way to get a, get in contact with you? How do you like to be approached? Yeah, for sure. So motionagency.io is where you can find us. And then me is Justin Brown Motion on LinkedIn. And if you connect with me on LinkedIn, I accept everybody. Whether or not I respond to your cold email to try and sell me something is very different, but I will accept your request and I'm happy to connect with anyone who wants to chat with me. Appreciate you doing this, bro. All right. Thanks, Pablo. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and you got a bunch of value out of it. And if you did, it would mean the world to me if you reached out to our guest and let them know what you learned, what you thought about it. Everything that you need to connect with them is going to be in the show notes. And on top of that, why don't you double up and reach out to me? I'd love to hear from you. It really is why I do this is so that I can meet awesome people. I would love to hear from anybody that you think should be on this podcast, including yourself, about how you build world-class relationships, how you create community, how you lead companies in this relationships over transactions methodology. And if you believe in that stuff, that is what we're doing at my company, Be The Stage. You can check it out at bethestage.live. But the Cliff Notes version is, we've learned that most companies know that they need to be making content and they know that they really want to drive a community. But where do you start with that stuff? The best way to start doing that is to create an internet talk show because it allows you to create a strategic relationship with a guest one-to-one while you create strategic relationships with the audience one-to-few. And then when we repurpose the show for you and spread it out all over social media, you're creating relationships one-to-many. It is the ultimate relationship-driven growth engine to feed your entire pipeline marketing team and customer success. What companies call their go-to-market strategy can now be driven by community. If you're interested in that, go to be the stage.live, check it out, 
reach out to me. I would love to create an internet talk show just for you. Now, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to take a play out of the book of one of my heroes, Christopher Lockhead, the godfather of category design, co-author of my favorite business book, Play Bigger, and my favorite newsletter, Category Pirates, which I'm going to link in the show notes because I think you should subscribe. It's the smartest thing basically in the world. Anyways, at the end of his podcast, which is Follow Your Different, he always shouts out and gives a roll call to people that he thanks, and I want to do that too. I want to thank my team at Be The Stage. I want to thank JP, who is the editor of this content, the guy that makes all the cool micro content and makes everything look cool. Joanna, who distributes a lot of the stuff. She writes a lot of the descriptions. Nicola, who is uh, my buddy that I've been mentoring for a couple of years out of Bulgaria, a really bright 15-year-old kid that writes a lot of the captions on social media. Marge, who is always keeping track of everything. She is the executive assistant of the dreams that all come true. Gina, who is a world-class integrator. She is our COO. She is the one that is just making all the processes happen. Whenever I say something, she designs a way to make it happen. It's incredible. My business partner, Isar, who without him, none of this stuff could be possible. That guy is the best. He's got an awesome podcast. It's called the Business Growth Accelerator. You should totally check that out. I want to thank my parents. They're my inspiration. They're the best. My family. I love them to pieces. My wife, Marta, who is my muse and my inspiration for everything. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, go do it now. But before you do that, if you haven't checked out either episode seven or episode 69, those are my 2019 and 2020 last call tracks where I give this like rapping, talking, motivational speech over like a really cool beat. It's actually the beat that I have on this podcast right now that I had custom produced by my guy, Michael out of Russia, who's a sick beat producer. Check that stuff out. That is the origin story of my business, the origin story of what I'm up to. And it's really what I am most proud of. Episode seven, episode 69 of this podcast. Hope to see you on the next one. Hit me up on social media. I love you. Don't forget relationships over transactions. That is the way that you win. It's a long game. Human beings are happiest when they're in service. So serve others and you will be able to open any door that you ever wanted. Never forget that. If you don't know how to serve others, everybody needs an extra cheerleader. Cheer for people. Be invested in their future. See what you can do for them. It all comes back in the long run. I really hope you reach out to me. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. I want to help you achieve your dreams. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome rest of your day.